Hello and welcome to Energy Aspects Global Gas Outlook webinar uh, today from Russia with Vol, uh, certainly pointing to one of the key sources of volatility in this market. Uh, I'm Trevor Sikorsky, the head of uh, Natural Gas at Energy Aspects, and I'm joined today by James Woodell, the head of European Gas, as we talk about all of the things that are affecting the global gas market. And we'll start with pricing, which is always a good place to start here. But you can see certainly from those prices, yeah, a number of things that are happening. One, of course, the, that big gap between the Henry Hub and the TTF and the JKM. And, then, and that's, of course, just a signal that this gas market has gotten tight and there's all kinds of room for US LNG into this market. And as we've been saying for months and months, and, you know, and it's certainly the consensus in the gas market, is there is going to be no constraints on that supply into the market this year. And even despite all of that gas coming in, you still see some very, very healthy spreads out there. Um, uh, particularly, you know, even with the Asian spreads, all of that being driven by a lot of acute tightness in the gas market. And that gas market comes from a number of things. But certainly when you look at the, you know, those slides, you can also see that even the JKM to TTF spread has kind of widened out a bit. And that again, uh, pointing to some very, very healthy demand. And we'd say, you know, and, and, and that's been very, very strong. Uh, and um, one, some of the key drivers in the market are certainly the things we're going to be talking about today. Why do you have those high JKM TTF spreads? And why is the TTF trading so far above Henry Hub? Now, when we look at, certainly when we look at the first bit, so when we're looking at that JKM TTF spread, very, very important in that is what we'd call the kind of freight roller coaster, those freight rates, of course, really driving uh, those global spreads between these two prices with you know, the TTF probably setting the level and the JKM doing enough to get enough gas into the Asian market for that market to balance. And what you can see certainly is, you know, far before we've seen it in most other years, and certainly far before we saw it last year, is there has been already a tick up in freight rates. So a real collapse in freight rates from the, the eye-watering highs we saw in Q, you know, the beginning of the at the beginning of the year. That being driven, of course, by uh, by uh, a, a lot of LNG on the water, but some very, very cold weather in Asia dragging more and more volumes uh, into the Asian market, uh, leading to congestion at the P Panama Canal and really spiking, uh, sp spiking prices and spiking uh, spreads. So that, that, that big run up in freight came out of the market very, very quickly, almost as soon as the cold weather exited the market. And certainly that was, you know, that was a reflection that that ships were, were starting to do uh, journeys that were a lot shorter, i.e. there wasn't so much of the U.S. gas going into the Asian markets uh, and the fact that you had a lot of lot more ships coming into the market as well. And we did actually see Q121 as being a period where the freight rates were going to relax. So if you look at uh, the chart on the right-hand side there, that's really showing where, where what we think the incremental need for shipping is uh, given changes to the supply demand balances. Um, and the amount of new shipping that's come in. Now, we did kind of see a tightening on year-on-year -year in Q2 and Q3. This is mostly because there's so much more gas on the water than there was last year. So the need to move all of that gas, of course, playing a bit in the freight rates, 
even though the, the number of new builds has been very, very high on a rolling 12-month basis. So that market looks really, really tight, but it looks like it's going to get super tight again for Q4. And certainly we see some very, very high freight rates we would expect to come into the market in Q4. And that really uh, colors our view, I would say, of the kind of Q4 global gas market and how high the JKM might go above the TTF. Now, when we look at that, I think that that JKM, you know, that JKM TTF spread, it's always reflecting what's the marginal cargo that needs to go into the Asian markets. And we work quite hard on understanding when, you know, where that might come from and how that might come. But you can see that definitely we're moving, you know, from points, uh, you know, as you go where the more and more distant cargos need to be need to be had. And one of the big things you know, that could help spike prices in Q4 this year is if we do get any any type of uh, congestion at the Panama Canal. And that congestion usually comes if a lot of U.S. gas is trying to get into the Asian market and a lot of it at the same time. And we do think that that call on U.S. gas is going to be highest in that November, December, January period, pretty much as it was last year, where you get, you know, you get, you get uh, the winter demands, particularly from China being important now, uh, sucking in a lot of gas into the market, probably more than can get through the canal. And that does mean that the marginal cargo has to go a longer route. And as soon as you get ships going a longer route, that means, you know, you're tightening up the freight market a bit more. Uh, but also, even on a kind of steady state, the amount of freight that you have to pass through into the spread grows and grows. And so this is really what, you know, what we're getting at here is, you know, we are very, very bullish in terms of those Q4 JKM TTF spreads. For the, for the rest of the summer, we probably think those spreads now pricing at about the right level. We didn't think, we think they were maybe pricing a little bit too high in the last couple of weeks, but they have started to come off. Now, when you look at, you know, when you look at this and you kind of look at, well, where does all this pressure come from? A lot of this pressure, of course, is coming from the supply side and the supply side uh, is just really healthy. So you look at this, a really healthy supply side, but there are a number of different moving pieces. So on the one hand, you are seeing actually a reasonably heavy slate of maintenance this year, probably something that's going to take maybe five and a half uh, and to six million tons out a little bit higher than we're showing on this slide, just because there have been some late revisions to uh, the schedules this year, you know, that and and one or two unplanned outages already. So the supply side may be not quite as strong, but still incredibly strong. We still think that means about 21 million tons of additional supply over these two quarters will be moved around. And most of them are coming really from two locations. One is the U.S. That's certainly the lion's share, probably about 16 million tons coming from the U.S. and a couple of million tons coming from Egypt. Now, Egypt is probably the most marginal source of gas into the into the market. But even then, you know, when you look at the spreads, uh, you know, and you, you just look at the very, very high price levels that are associated with the TTF at the moment and the JKM, that's more than enough to compensate uh, the Egyptian producers for actually producing that gas and getting it into the marketplace. Now, the other thing that's kind of important, of course, is the demand side, because it, this really determines in some ways, um, you know, how much 
gas has to flow into that Asian market and therefore what that means for the JKM. But when you look at it, we do see, you know, there is certainly uh, consistent growth, I would say, on Asian demand over the summer period. And that's coming uh, predominantly, I would say, from Northeast Asia and predominantly from uh, from China. And China has just been incredibly strong here. So we've seen, you know, we've, we've We've seen a number of things happening in the Chinese market, which has just made it probably more, uh, you know, more dynamic and, and bigger than we we maybe thought uh, a couple of months ago. One of the things that happened is certainly pipeline supply hasn't been as strong. It's been strong certainly on the power of Siberia, but the Central Asian pipelines haven't been that strong into the market. We have seen very good domestic supply in line with what we're expecting, but the demand side, the demand side has been really strong, and that's probably a mix of very good underlying growth, particularly in the export-oriented sectors. Uh, but also, uh, we think probably, uh, you know, some very, very good reese, you know, reese or stock building uh, in existing facilities and new facilities. And probably that's going to be 13 or 14 BCMs worth. So all of that added together is kind of a strong picture. We also see a bit of support uh, coming out of the South Korean market where the government continues to look at kind of, I'd say, non-market ways, but <laughs> getting rid of coal-fired generation or minimizing coal-fired generation. And this, of course, uh, stems back a, a couple of weeks to when there was announcement that uh, the, 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 the Ministry of Energy was asking uh, KEPCO to curtail its um, it's coal-fired generation over the summer by 18 to 24 uh, percent. We've now baked that into our 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 our, our forecast. We have it at about a 21 percent reduction in terms of uh, coal-fired generation uh, over the summer compared to the average of 2019 to 2017. So over that kind of average of pre pre COVID period, um, it's still you know, it is a healthy reduction in coal fire generation, and that is making some room for LNG. Now, one of the places that we did expect a lot of growth, and maybe it is, and certainly, you know, if anything, we've kind of had to make revision to the downside on the demand side on Asia, is in South Asia. And of course, all of that comes from the COVID uh, issues that we're, we're seeing at the moment. Uh, particularly in India, the slowdown in mobility, quite a lot of, you know, a good chunk of gas goes into the transport sector. It goes into the refining sector. Both of those, of course, suffering quite a bit in, in India. And we have seen, you know, we've seen a number of cargoes kind of being knocked back with the inability to get it in. And we have seen a drying up of spot uh, buying in the market by Indian players. And of course, part of that's because uh, you know, prices are a lot higher year on year, uh, but part of that is also because of the impacts of COVID and what that is doing on an economy-wide basis. Now, the long and short of this is that that Asian picture is strong enough, but there's still a lot of LNG to go into the European market. And so it really is like with, with a world of such good, healthy supply and demand, which is pretty strong, but still has a lot left over for, for, for the European market. Why are prices strong as they are? And almost all of that is embedded in all of the dynamics in the European market. And at that point, I am going to turn over to James, and he's going to take you through why the TTF has been as strong as it has been. 
Thank you, Trevor. So we have seen a fairly dramatic run up in the TTF uh, market over the course of recent weeks. Some of this is a legacy effect from what happened over last winter in terms of Northeast Asia really drawing on uh, a lot of the storage assets that we had in Europe, helping to deplete that at a prodigious rate and leaving us going into the summer with a monumental stock build in order to return to a decent level of storage, storage adequacy by uh, the end of October and going into the next heating season. Uh, but added to that, it's not just been the winter, we've also had a period since the start of the summer where it's just been a very cold shoulder season. And in fact, it's still cold uh, here in London. And what that's done is it's been driving up uh, that heating demand in Europe uh, well above what would be normal. And even compared to our sort of recent, more recent forecast for uh, that ResCom demand in Europe, it's been exceeding that. We've had about three BCM of demand in Western Europe above what is weather normal in May is looking to be uh, not too dissimilar. And I want to add that, you know, it's been difficult to model a little bit the COVID impacts on heating demand. But what we have noticed is that at times when heating degree days have been high, the effect of working from home and also having offices open at the same time, this dual heating effect has actually increased uh, demand above what a strict HDD model would suggest. Now we input a bit of that into our uh, April and May balances, but actually exceeded that for April. And it looks like it may exceed that for May. So this high heating call has taken away from the supply that would normally be starting off the summer injection campaign in Europe. And so we've gone effectively a whole wasted month of April where we haven't really been able to in earnest begin the stock build. We're into the middle of May already, and that is continuing to be a little bit of a constraint on really restarting that stock build. So then we're leaving it later and later and increasing the amount of injection demand we have over the rest of the summer. Uh, moving on to the next slide. Uh, one of the issues that we face is that uh, this would be a very normal situation. In fact, we've been in this situation in 2018 uh, where we had very depleted stocks after the beast from the east scenario at the end of winter. But in that summer, we had very strong Algerian flows coming into the market and we had very strong Russian flows. And with regard to the Russian flows, that's clearly not the case. Uh, what we see is a constraint on that capacity. Uh, Gazprom's transit contract through Ukraine has dropped year on year from 65 BCM being available uh, in 2020 to 40 BCM per year being available um, over the next uh, three years. And effectively what that means, or four years, and effectively what that means is that they are booking uh, at that transit capacity into Ukraine and a little bit extra of spare capacity that they have at the border point of Sucha on the Russia-Ukraine border. So over the course of this summer, there is a, an essential capacity constraint. And this does lead to issues and, and concerns regarding um, how does uh, Gazprom refill its destination storage in Europe, which we know has been heavily depleted over recent months, and it may struggle to refill even ahead of the major uh, trunk pipeline maintenance events on Nord Stream and Yamal taking place uh, in July, and also taking it back into uh, the 5% of the aggregate sales that they expect uh, ahead of next winter. So refilling that is an issue, meeting contract deliveries on top of that, and also meeting uh, ESP sales. But the reason we're not seeing uh, Gazprom turning to the Ukrainians and asking for more capacity is really that NS2 story, and we've had a lot of movement on that in recent days. 
uh, Gazprom has been trying to get this uh, pipeline commissioned. It's been targeting, according to most recent guidance, uh, the end of summer for the first flows through the pipeline. And we've now had uh, effectively more of a confirmation of a fairly uh, light enforcement of sanctions from the Biden administration on this project. Uh, recently, we've just had uh, you know, reports of the Nord Stream 2 project company not being targeted uh, and getting a waiver from sanctions. Um, basically, it's a sign of uh, the Biden administration prioritizing a reset in its relationships with uh, Europe and, and Germany in particular. And this has been uh, a big case being made by uh, the Merkel government that this should be considered as a purely economic project, that uh, US sanctions should not uh, be involved in this. And by taking off those sanctions from the project company, well, we think it, this is a signal to all the contractors that would be associated with the project that they are now less likely to be targeted by US sanctions. And it is an enabler uh, for the completion of this pipeline. One of the things that is maybe not um, fully widespread across the market is that uh, you don't need to bring on both strings of the pipeline uh, at the same time. Uh, that definitely wasn't the case with Nord Stream uh, 1. And the progress on the pipelines uh, and the two different strings of the pipeline is very different. We've had the Fortuna vessel um, been working effectively since the end of January on this pipeline. And it's really almost done with the Danish section, which leaves only a small section in German waters to complete, which we think is perfectly feasible uh, over the course of next month. And then around three weeks for an above water tie-in to finish that off. And then you're looking at about two to three months for drying, testing, and filling. Uh, now, there are still issues to do with who can we find to certify this project with DNVGL's exit uh, last year. This is uh, a major barrier. We do think it will ultimately be overcome to begin those flows, but it is a risk. Uh, but And the other one is the German elections. So effectively, when the uh, German elections are being held in September, there is an increasing chance that the, a green uh, the Green Party will be part of that governing coalition, and they are vehemently opposed to this project. So two relatively big risks for the start of flows. But in our base case, we do have those flows coming in. Now, over Q4, what we see is this is will be replacing the capacity that was available last year under the 65 BCM uh, contract through Ukraine. So no incremental flows then, but then incremental flows starting to come in to Q1. And this is uh, the sort of risk off event that the market has perceived in recent days had a big sell-off on the TTF on the fact that they think uh, that this pipeline will be available and there's much less upside pressure on uh, European prices for this winter. Uh, we still hold the view that the lack of storage going into this winter uh, is not easily replaceable with the startup of uh, Nord Stream 2 flows, particularly as it's not really adding incremental capacity until uh, Q1. The other side of this story is what's happening in Ukraine. Now, Ukraine was really used as a massive safety valve for uh, excess European supply last summer. What we see is uh, this year, storage jobs are completely closed for using Ukrainian storage. And we're seeing minimal gas uh, being sent across the EU border into Ukraine. And what that is enabling is essentially more of that Russian gas coming in from the east to the west to go into uh, the more TTF relevant markets. Now, this does pose some upside risk for the winter in terms of Ukraine taking more gas from Europe over this coming winter if they have less uh, gas held in storage. And the other concern here is for the Ukrainians in particular, they have a lot of gas held under the 
customs warehouse regime still. And there is still a question about whether that gas stays in Ukraine or comes back into Europe. So there's a question for NAFTA gas on whether they will themselves buy gas and bring it across into Ukraine. So we have got some um, EU imports in Q3, uh, but there's some downside risk on that if NAFTA gas chooses not to put gas in for, for storage. On to the next one. The other really difficult uh, element of this summer pricing is uh, what is happening with Algeria. Now, on the one hand, it's quite simple that Algerian gas, which is still predominantly oil indexed, is fully in the money for delivery over the course of this summer. Uh, on the other side of that, what we can see is that over the uh, contract year, which is uh, the gas year for mostly the Italian buyers and the calendar year for the Iberian buyers, uh, a lot of that gas has already entered the market, meaning less is available on a contractual basis to take later on in the period. And certainly there's a squeeze uh, on a contractual basis for Algerian gas going into the Italian market. And what is going to be very interesting to see uh, in the coming days is whether we will see uh, incremental capacity booked uh, for July delivery um, into the Italian market. Because what we're saying is for the first time in many, many years that uh, Italian imports are really going to uh, exceed what is available under contract. And those contracts have come down a lot since 2018, which was the last really strong year for Algerian imports uh, to uh, Southern Europe. So really it's a bit of a watch this space moment, but we have uh, we did have a constraint on Algerian supply uh, into Southern Europe. We need to see to what extent Sonatrack is gonna start spot selling uh, in the Italian market and how much potential upside there is for this supply in Southern Europe. And there's potential downside pressure on TTF uh, more than our forecasts. Uh, moving on to the next one. The last element of this is really what we think uh, in terms of the power sector gas demand, because this is you know, the balancing tool that we uh, use for getting to a certain amount of storage adequacy. Now in uh, recent years, uh, in 2016 to 2018, what we saw was quite a tight range in terms of Europe's overall storage carryout of around 90 to 94 BCM. Now we think that that is uh, a basic level that Europe needs to achieve. And based on what we can see in terms of supply from uh, these different directions, whether that's Russia, uh, Norway or Algeria, and the demand increases that we're seeing, we think we need to take more gas out of power to provide uh, for injection demand. And you can see on the left-hand panel, uh, a series of percentages which refer to the differentials between uh, gas-fired and coal-fired efficiencies. And effectively, these different fuel switch uh, efficiency triggers, you get different amounts of power sector gas demand. On the right-hand side there, you can see the price levels at which uh, that demand occurs. And uh, at the bottom end of that fuel switch range, what you have is very uh, inefficient gas compete against very efficient coal. And at the top end of that range, you've got the opposite. And what we're doing at the moment, we're pricing around the middle of that range after the news on um, the, the sanctions response to NS2, there, is a, there has been a relax through that range, but we think we need to price up to get more gas out of power um, and into injections. And if you look at this, the differences in terms of aggregate demand across Northwest Europe, uh, when you move from uh, sort of the 10% fuel switch trigger to more like the 7% uh, fuel switch trigger or, or the five, you're looking at about a, a few BCM across Northwest Europe. So two BCM uh, between the five and the 10 with a bit of extra switching uh, potential in the Italian market. 
And so we think this is behind uh, our, our bullish view for the summer and why we uh, maintain that we need to pull more gas out of power and provide that into injections. And just move on to the final slide, you can see um, our, our overall uh, forecast for the uh, different elements uh, of the balance. You can see there a big recovery um, on the base effects of COVID last year. You can see that there's uh, a fairly quick ramp up of uh, supply coming in from uh, Azerbaijan. You can see Algerian supply being quite strong. Norwegian uh, production is coming in in an increment, but at the same time, there's been a heavy maintenance program for this summer. And of course, you've got the LNG figure, which is uh, quite strong into the European market. Now, this is taking us up to just about the storage adequacy, but that is assuming uh, that we have to price up within the fuel switch uh, curves in order to get gas into injections. So with that, um, that's uh, an overview of our TTF uh, balances heading into uh, the rest of the summer and into coming the winter. And I hand back uh, now to Trevor. Thank you very much, James. Uh, and I hope you all enjoyed that. That is kind of our overview of, of the global gas market based focused, of course, uh, on the JKM and the TTF. Uh, if you have any questions on anything you've heard, uh, please use the form uh, at the bottom of the uh, the page uh, to, to write to us. It should come through uh, the analysts at Energy Aspects. Uh, uh, query query uh, method uh, and we will get back to you as soon as possible on those questions so again thank you very much for listening and if you do have any questions do drop us a line thank you